0: Salut, bonjour. Welcome to City Breaks. Welcome, in fact, to the last in the current series of virtual visits. This one being, as you may have guessed from the rather French introduction there, a virtual visit to Paris. I've had a good look round. I like to think I've picked the best of the bunch. A few good videos from YouTube, a few other websites, the work of one or two writers, which in combination will give you a chance to visit Paris, at least virtually, if you can't go for real. And yes, it's planned to be the last in the current series of virtual visits. One reason being that actually this is the last of the six cities I've already covered for which I've been doing virtual visits. And secondly, because we have every hope that things are getting a little bit more back to normal and that proper travel will become possible and therefore I can get going on the next proper City break series which is going to be City Breaks Bath. So Paris then. Bienvenue à Paris. Welcome to Paris. I thought to start with a couple of feel-good videos would be nice. Ones that just show you bits of Paris. Lots of shots covering many of the big hitters. Lots of street scenes too. Just a little wander around with someone else's camera guaranteed to make you reminisce and start planning your next visit all at the same time. So the first one I picked is one called Paris City 2020. Nice and up to date. Six minutes long or so, lots of sights, no commentary. The sights are labelled in English though, so you can see what's what. If you're not very familiar with the city, you should be able to find your way around a little bit by watching it. But I liked it because scenes of the very familiar places are interspersed with lots of street scenes, cafes, people on restaurant terraces, scenes of the river, passers by, which all add up to making you really feel that you are there. So, I'd recommend that. And I thought, as a second backup, it would be very nice to have a similar video, but shot at night. Because who doesn't love Paris at night? And the one that I liked best of all the ones I watched was called Seine River Cruise at Night. It's three and a bit minutes long. Romantic Paris makes you feel that you're on one of those nighttime boat trips as it coasts up both sides of the river, allowing you plenty of chances to look at all those gorgeous lit up buildings which pass you by one after another in a picturesque succession. And then a third choice in the next best thing, if you can't actually be there, is another little three-minute film. This one, not on YouTube, but on the Eiffel Tower website, Paris. And on there, you can click on something called a virtual tour of the Eiffel Tower. Another three minutes or so shot from the second floor of the tower and then a bit later also from the summit, allows you to scan the horizon in both directions. You can put it onto night mode if you like. You can zoom in and see close-ups of Notre Dame, of Place de la Concorde, of the Hôtel des Invalides. All very lovely. All three of those are, without commentary, very much all about the lovely photography. So then I went to searching for one or two websites that would give you some text, give you some information in a different way, perhaps more in lines of a little bit of research before a visit type thing, and far and away the best website I found was one called theculturetrip.com, which has got sections about many many countries and places, but which has a whole section on France, breaking down to a whole section on Paris, and I picked out three or four articles on there which I felt were really worthy of attention. The first one to give you a general historical overview, if you want to know. Which era was which? Is one called 14 Events which Shaped Paris's History. Quite basic, very easy to follow, just what you want to know before you go. So there were 14 different headings. One, for example, was When was Notre Dame Constructed? Another one was What was the Belle Epoque? And for each one, there's a paragraph or so of text giving you the basic information and one or sometimes more than one really great photos. So Quite an easy read, but one after which you would feel really just that little bit more informed. So, to give you a flavour, I thought I might read a little bit from the Belle Epoque section, and this is what they have to say on that. The Belle Epoque was characterised by a sense of optimism, peace, and prosperity, and technological and scientific innovation. La Belle Epoque refers to the pre war era in France, starting in 1870 and continuing until 1914. And it goes on to list some of the things for which that era was famous. So the construction of the Eiffel Tower, for example, the building of the Metro, the opening of the Moulin Rouge, all those later Impressionist artists. Another page on the same site that I enjoyed was called 10 Best Neighbourhoods in Paris. Similar format, paragraph or two about each of the 10 areas they chose, ranging from the familiar places like Montmartre and Saint-Germain-des-Prés to the less familiar. What do you know, for example, about Oberkampf or the Canal Saint-Martin area? I know from personal experience that they're both nice places in which to spend a few days, but which you might not think of if you hadn't had them pointed out to you. So I thought that was a helpful article. On the same site, they had a piece with the title, Experience Paris's Alternative Side with these unique experiences. So if you are someone who's been quite a number of times and always needs another excuse to go back, perhaps there'll be something there that you haven't already done or seen. So examples of said experiences would be a sunrise run and sightseeing tour. You and a few other athletes or would-be athletes can meet up with a top-class local runner and go on a jog round Paris in the early morning before too many people are about and have things pointed out to you, things, as it says on the website, that you can't find in a guidebook. Other options for alternative experiences would be going bargain hunting at saint ouen Flea Market, the sort of thing you might not do if you don't know Paris very well, how to find your way out there, how safe is it, it's massive, how do I choose which areas to go to, can I really try some haggling, all that sort of thing. And then fourthly, from the same site, so theculturetrip.com, but possibly a little more mainstream, was a text called Culture Vultures Guide to Paris. And that's one that deals with all the big hitters like the Louvre and Versailles, the Panthéon, the Catacombs, and points you towards the best ways of visiting all of those. All very useful if the sort of tour you're planning is a let's-see-all-the-main-things-of-Paris sort of tour. So that website's quite good if you want to browse across the spectrum. A website that's much more particular, which I found and thought looked really useful, was the one belonging to the fairly newly reopened Museum of the Occupation. So you can find your way to their website. In French, it's called the Musée Libération Leclerc. I think you should get there if you type in Paris Occupation Museum. And when you get to the website, you can click it onto English. And then, if you choose a section called Following the Pathways, that will take you through a timeline of the occupation, complete with lots of photographs and little paragraphs of text and explanation. That's actually how the museum itself is set out, in fact. And either the museum itself, or indeed this section of the website, will give you a useful and quite detailed idea of one of Paris's very memorable periods of history. Next up, I had a look around for some websites that would be useful if you wanted to focus on some of the artworks in Paris. And I very much like the section on Impressionism, which I found on the about-france.com website. It's a nice little introductory text reminding us that Impressionism was first coined in Paris, the actual word, that Paris was a city where many of the Impressionist painters who've remained uppermost in our minds actually lived and worked. And also, of course, that Paris itself was, in many cases, one of the subject matters that they liked to paint. And it's a useful site because it then goes on to list four museums in Paris in which you can see lots of Impressionist art. Useful if that's going to be the focus of your visit. Useful also if you've been to, say, one or maybe two of them and are then pleased to know that there are different museums in the city where you can still get your fix of Impressionist paintings without actually repeating something That you've done before, so it goes on to list the four museums. It gives you some opening times. It gives you some details, a springboard certainly for finding out whatever it is you need to know to make your choices. So the four museums are the Musée d'Orsay, the Orangerie, the Musée des Beaux Arts, and the Musée Marmottan. And following up the links to the various websites, I noticed that the Musée Marmottan has its own website which is very informative and has lots of pictures on it. So that's worth recommending in its own right. So the Musée Marmottan is a museum at the Classy end of Paris. I think it's in the 16th district. And it's mainly a collection of Monet paintings. I think it is, in fact, the biggest single collection of his work anywhere in the world. And they've got quite a lot of his pictures actually on the website. So you can see the Impression Soleil Levant, so the Impression of Sunrise which is the painting that gave the whole Impressionist movement its name. You can see a painting of Rouen Cathedral. If you listen to the original series I did, you might remember that Rouen Cathedral was something he painted lots of times in all sorts of weathers and all sorts of different light conditions. There's also a good range of his water lily paintings. And one or two others which are very well known that you might recognise. So, for example, Le Train dans la Neige, so a train in the snow. One called En Promenade près d'Argenteuil. So Walking Near Argenteuil, which is one of those Fields of Poppies paintings. There's at least one of his pictures of the Thames in London and another painting entitled On the Beach at Trouville. They're all there. You can click on each one and get the title and the date. There are a number of other Impressionist artists represented too. And the other main one in this museum is also very interesting because it's Berthe Morisseau, who you may remember if you heard the episode first time round. Was the best known female impressionist artist. She was very much part of the group, Monet, etc. In fact, she was married to uh, Manet. She moved in circles with Renoir and Degas and Pissarro. But she wasn't an artist who sold very well at the time, and so she tends to be less well known than the male counterparts. And here at Marmontant, they've got, I think, it's twenty-five of her paintings and a whole collection, seventy plus of watercolours and pastels and drawings and things that she did. They've got a section on her on the website, so you can click through and get some biographical details and see quite a number of her paintings. You'll recognise them immediately as being Impressionist paintings, but they do, I think, have some idea of a feminine touch about them. Quite a lot of them are domestic in theme, for example. There's a painting of her husband, Edouard Manet, in the garden with their daughter, Julie. There's a painting of Julie and a friend playing about with a bowl of water in the kitchen. And there are quite a lot of garden scenes, the cherry tree, for example. So, a nice website to browse through. And still on the subject of art, another gallery that will give you lots of information over and above when the place is open, one from which you can learn a lot, is the website of the Pompidou Centre. So that's www.centrepompidou.com dot fr, and then if you want the English version, forward slash en. And something on there that's very useful is the Pompidou VIP virtual tour, which handily picks out just 20 seminal works from the several thousand that I know they have, good clear pictures of each one, and some text to go alongside it, explaining what it is, who it was by, and why they chose it as one of the only 20 works to represent everything that they're trying to portray in the gallery. The Pompidou Centre, if you didn't know, is all about modern art, or at least 20th century onwards. I think quite a lot of it probably divides opinion, but if modern art is your thing, it's an absolutely must-visit gallery. So, for their 20 important works, let me just give you a couple of flavours. One would be something called Fontaine, which is the French for fountain, by Marcel Duchamp, which dates from 1917. And the key fact about this Fontaine is that it is, in fact, a urinal. The artist bought it, turned it upside down, signed a fictional name, Richard Mutt, on it, gave it a title, Fontaine, and then sent it to a New York gallery and told them it was a work of art. They rejected it. The explanation on the website explains, quote, The jury of artists was not yet prepared to admit this provocative artwork. And then they go on to try and explain what he could possibly have been thinking. And the conclusion is that he was asking questions such as, what is the role of an artist? How do you define a work of art? Does all art have to be beautiful? And then in another great sentence, their conclusion is, quote, raising such questions did not always lead to answers, but it did completely shake up 20th century art. So I guess that's why they picked it. It was so revolutionary at the time. So others among the 20 are by Marc Chagall, by Frida Kahlo, and another of the more esoteric ones, a piece called New York City, 1942, by Piet Mondrain, which is a grid of red, blue and yellow lines on a white background. You may look at it and think that sums up New York, 1942, for me, exactly. You may look at it and think, I could have done that myself. You may look at it and just be a bit mystified. But explanations follow. Quote, this work is typical of Mondrian's last research, after his neoplastic period and black grids. His vertical and horizontal lines vibrate with colour, creating a luminous optical dynamic and an impression of movement. The dense crisscrossing over the entire surface magnifies the USA's new energy boosted by the discovery of the frantic boogie-woogie beat personally i think if you came across that in the gallery you'd be confused and it would be better to be forewarned in advance and have thought about what it could possibly mean before you get there so for that reason i recommend the website to you moving on a little bit from culture to the question of what to do in paris in the evenings a website which i found and thought very useful was called worldinparis.com and they've got a section on there called Paris Nightlife, fun things to do in Paris at night. And it's quite useful because it goes through various areas of the city and tells you what to expect there, which one's a restaurant quarter, which one's got the nightclubs in it, that sort of thing. So if you are thinking of visiting Le Marais or Le Quartier Latin or Saint-Germain or Bastille, all of those have got things to recommend them but you need to check the website to see which is which. Then it gives you ideas. River Cruise, obviously, tells you where the nightclubs are, points out which of these main tourist sites you can visit in the evening for a different experience. For example, the Louvre, the Eiffel Tower, the Opera, where in fact you can go on a Mysteries of the Opera at Night tour and learn about the opera building's history and hear the Phantom of the Opera ghost story. Then it goes on and lists recommendations in categories like rooftop bars, best brasserie and bistro, photography at night, where to go clubbing and lastly, one that I really fancy checking out next time I go and that is where to take a night dip in an art deco pool. Okay, moving on and in fact back to YouTube. I'm sure everybody goes to Paris with at least half a thought for what you're going to eat when you get there. And I discovered that on YouTube, there are stacks and stacks and stacks of films where people have taken an aspect of eating in Paris, made a little three or four minute video all about it. And of the great number that I watched or had a quick look at, I picked out four, which I would recommend. And the first one is called A Visit to a Paris Market, and it features the cookery writer David Liebewitz, an American chef who's lived in Paris for, I think, decades and it's a lovely little film. It shows you him doing his shopping at the French market just on one autumn day when he's buying what he's planning to cook that evening. Then he takes it all home and you watch him cooking it. With just enough instructions to copy and do the same should you feel like it. So he starts by explaining that because it's just the beginning of autumn, produce is suddenly going to be different. Tomatoes are disappearing. There are more root vegetables. Quince is suddenly available. Reminding us that anyone who cooks properly in Paris definitely goes with the seasonal. Starts in the market, buys whatever's top quality that day and makes something with it. So into his basket went some sardine fillets, fresh ones, a pumpkin, some apples, some cider and a whole roasted chicken. And then we had the pleasure of watching him roasting the pumpkin with garlic and herbs and chilli pepper making a sardine pâté out of the eight little sardines, and turning the apples into a tarte tatin, which, as he says on the film, is an absolutely classic French dessert. It's that sort of upside-down apple tart, which, when you tip it out, turns out to have caramelised apples as its topping. I also picked out something called The Local Way Paris, Baguette and Boulangerie, where two presenters went on a little tour of some of Paris's best bakeries. So they went to the Grenier des Pins, which apparently won the Best Baguette in Paris award in a recent year. Much fought over prize, as you can imagine, because obviously it brings a lot of prestige, and it also gives you the right to deliver bread to the Élysée Palace, i.e. the presidential Paris, every day for a whole year. and Then I think they have a new competition and vote a new Best Baguette in Paris. Then they went to an artisan boulanger where the artisan himself was interviewed and told us about his bread-making techniques, his natural yeast, the fact that it takes 20 hours to produce a good baguette, what a good baguette should look like, the bread inside should be a creamy colour, it should be full of holes because that shows that the yeast is properly fermented. Very handily then, they picked out their favourite bakery very close to Place des Vosges. Place des Vosges in the Marais district being a wonderful place for a picnic. therefore. Knowing a good bakery just close by is very handy. And the one they chose was called Au Levin du Marais. And then another little piece of French culture. They went to a fourth bakery, which has won an award called the Meilleur Ouvrier de France, which is a sort of best craftsman award, which is given every year in various categories, including baking. And here again, they interviewed the baker, who explained that his recipe for bread had Evolved from breads which were made on a family farm two or three generations ago. His father, I think it was, had first left and started a bakery, and it's been a growing business ever since. And he told us his top tips, which were that you must use proper flour, not, as he said rather sniffily, anything from grosse production, so mass produced stuff, and there should be absolutely aucun additif, absolutely no additives. So that was very French and very nostalgic. Thirdly, I found a video called Visiting Barthélémy, which is one of Paris's top cheese shops, or best fromagerie, if you want it in French. And here they interviewed the lady who runs the shop, who's been making cheese for 41 years. And she gives her advice for compiling the perfect cheese board, in which she uttered a lot of, it depends, depends on the time of day you'll be serving it, Whether your guests will be sitting or standing, what the weather's like, what your budget is. But she clearly knows what she's talking about because this shop has been supplying both the Elysee, which is the President's Palace, and Matignon, which is the Prime Minister's home, since the 1970s. And the camera, in between shots of her, pans round the shop in which there are 200 plus varieties of cheese. And she explains how proud she is of the high quality of the merchandise that she sells. So you'll see lots of cheeses you recognise, you might learn one or two names you didn't know, and you will hear Madame's philosophy that in a world where so much is going downhill, we can at least rely on proper cheese to keep standards up. She expressed this by saying, tout se dégrade, everything is going down in quality, mais pas le fromage encore, except for cheese. Again, very French. And then there was a whole stack of little films about patisserie, So those lovely Parisian cake shops. The one I picked out was actually called Best Pastry Shops in Paris. Three minutes long. Visits to four shops, including La Dure, which is the place where those very Parisian macaroons come from. We went through some of the classic flavours, vanilla and chocolate, and some of the slightly more unusual ones, rose and Marie Antoinette tea flavour, whatever that might be. Sadly, she didn't actually tell us. We went to a second Macaron shop called Pierre Hermé, which specialises in more original types. So there's a truffle macaron there. There's a foie gras one. There's one flavoured with peach, apricot, and saffron. But they finished up in one of those very typical patisseries, where all the cakes are beautifully crafted and stored like precious ornaments under little glass domes. And there we saw the mille and the tarte au citron. those other delicacies that yes you can buy in most places across the world but which of course taste best if eaten in Paris. And to finish off then today I was going to make a recommendation for a book which will take you to Paris as often as you want to go and tell you a million different things about it because in fact it's an anthology. It's called City Lit Paris, it's got over a hundred pieces in it, all sorts of authors on all sorts of topics, places in Paris, Parisian habits, Literary extracts, etc. etc. And I've picked out just a couple of little extracts to read to finish the podcast. The first one comes from the Australian author Janelle McCulloch, who wrote a book called La Vie Parisienne about living as an Australian in Paris and loving every minute of it. And this little bit is talking about Paris in the autumn. Quote Most people don't realise that Paris is more beautiful going into the colder months as at any other time. Under a dignified sky of Dior Grey, you can see the bones of the city, including its noble architecture, through the brittle branches of the trees. Somehow the city seems finer, grander, more spectacular. The shimmering cognac shade of the Seine, under the morning sun, which changes through the day to a luminous petrol blue, and finally to a silver, the colour of evening slippers at twilight. The grand grey of the famous cobblestone avenues and the fine oyster-shell grey of the buildings combine to give the city an almost gentlemanly feel. The city is distinguished, poised, and more handsome than a Frenchman in a black tie. For a completely different and much more modern take, here's the author Faisa Gen, who published her first novel about being a Parisian at the age of nineteen, describing how she and her mum escaping from there difficult life out in one of the poorer suburbs of the city, have gone into the centre for the day and are having a look at the Eiffel Tower. This is what she writes about it. The Eiffel Tower is like this big statement. I'd like to have gone up it in the red and yellow lifts, ketchup mayo style, but it was too expensive. And another thing, we'd have had to queue up behind the Germans, the Italians, the English and loads of other tourists who aren't scared of heights or spending their cash. We didn't have enough money to buy a miniature Eiffel Tower either. They're even uglier than the original, but still, it's classy to have one on your telly. Tourist trap stalls are so expensive. Plus, what those guys sell is total crap. And thirdly and finally, an extract from a book called Return to Paris by Colette Rosson, which she wrote about her life in post-war Paris when she lived in one of those little attic rooms at the top of a building and where she certainly didn't have a kitchen. And this is the paragraph about what she did about food. Quote, Having no kitchen, I had to eat out three times a day. Breakfast was no problem. Café au lait and a tartine, a piece of baguette slathered with butter, was all I needed. I had my lunch at a small bistro, most of the time a prefix, steak, pommes frites and a salad. Sometimes I took le plat du jour, daily special which might be a suprême de volaille en meniere, strips of chicken sautéed in butter, or boudin noir, blood sausages, with steamed potatoes. Dinner was more of a problem. If no one had invited me to dinner, I stopped at a charcuterie and bought ready-made dishes to eat at my desk. Often it would be only a few slices of ham or cheese with a vegetable salad. City Lit Paris is a great book to have on your shelf because you can Pull it down when you've only got just a few minutes to spare, open it up anywhere, and you can always find a take on the city. Usually one that makes you nostalgic for it. I definitely recommend. OK, so that's it for today, then. In fact, that's it at the moment for virtual visits at all. Next week, the plan is for the last, or last for the moment anyway, City Break Ideas episode. Got a couple of intriguing ideas already. If you have somewhere you'd like to recommend, then do please write in and say so. If we can't squeeze it into that episode, I think I'm planning to repeat those every now and then, perhaps at monthly intervals, so we can definitely find room for it at some point. It would be great to hear of a city that you would recommend as a good place for a city break with a little explanation. A sentence or two will do, but just why is it that you think people will enjoy going there? So you can leave those on the blog on the website. For me to pick up, that's www.citybreakspodcast.co.uk. You can email, if you prefer, citybreaks at citybreakspodcast.co.uk or you can use Twitter, at citybreakscast. Any of those routes will land on my desk and I will use them, gratefully. Thank you. Okay then, so for the moment, sign off in French, I think, today, why not? Thank you very much for listening. Merci pour l'écoute, and goodbye, au revoir.